It's not you, it's all of us who are causing the sluggish freight volumes. But what does sluggish freight volumes mean to retailers and others in the supply chain? While carriers and brokers bemoan the cheaper rates, is there an opportunity for those who ship things to improve before enough truckload capacity leaves the market and kick off the next turn in the freight business cycle? It ain't the wheel of time, but the wheel of freight keeps spinning. And for tech-savvy retailers and brands, there's an opportunity to thrive. But what does this look like? And does the supply chain have a need for speed? Well, folks, we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson. Now, I typically talk about trucking, but if one works in trucking, not understanding how the supply chain works is like a weather person giving a forecast without understanding what clouds do. The current macroeconomic outlook over these past few months feels odd as employment remains healthy in spite of rising interest rates, consumer goods inflation, and lagging inventories that have all but muted the roaring early 20s of the freight from two years prior. Now, today we're going to take a deep dive upstream into the wondrous and chaotic underbelly of the supply chain to find out if there's some acceleration left in this current sluggish freight economy. Brings us to our next guest. Joining me to talk about the state of supply chains is Steve Beta, Executive Vice President at Trax Group. Those of you unaware, Trax is a transportation technology company that helps their clients with transportation spending, freight audits, and has some unique insights into what's going on with retail. Welcome, Steve. Pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. I must appreciate it. Glad to be here. And looking into retail, I always find it fascinating because, you know, there's a lot going on upstream. What's the current environment like? Because you guys have a unique opportunity to actually see it instead of like hearing it secondhand through an analyst or someone. No, that's true. Uh, I've also had a unique opportunity attending several conferences, talking to analysts, peers, and uh, shippers, uh, really in LSPs, carriers. Um, and it's a common theme playing out uh, right now. So if I had to frame things up, we, we've got a couple things in the rear view mirror, I think, and then we have some headwinds that we'll have to deal with. Um, I think in the rear view mirror, you have stubbornly high rates, uh, spot quotes included, uh, and capacity constraints. That tends to be things that are in the past, right, created by the pandemic. Uh, so that that now we're heading into sort of with the lack of demand, a bit of a, a freight recession in, in a sense where we have a, the capacity, we have... Uh, we have the uh, the prices have fallen dramatically. In fact, one of the metrics that I watch is the LMI. It is an all-time low when it comes to uh, pricing and capacity being high and, and prices being low. And I think the other thing is retailers uh, have now sort of burned off that blood of inventory uh, that they, they had in the warehouses. Uh, and at least early indications are that that's the case, uh, which should now return us to a point of where we have to look in the front uh, windshield and say, with a stubborn, stubborn economy and Fed tightening, um, how do you navigate forward? So that's kind of a framing of what I think is in the rear view mirror and then what we have to deal with going forward. 
I had a thought about that, speaking of stubborn economy, because a lot of folks, you know, it's kind of like a consensus was we expect in the second half things will get better. The consumer will spend more. But uh, with stuff like even student loans resuming, were there any of the conferences or folks you spoke with? Is there any worry that consumers just won't have anything left in the tank to, to get things going for our traditional prep for peak season? Right. Well, everyone's looking for some sort of uh, stimulus or catalyst that creates that demand signal coming back. Um, so certainly consumer debt is up. Um, that's not a good thing. Uh, we don't know where the student loan forgiveness will play out. We, we, I think the Supreme Court is uh, involved now in, in a decision on that. Um, but these all impact uh, consumer behavior. And generally, consumers are looking for value. Um, that value means choice. Uh, that may be a choice in, in how to ship. It may be a choice of product, whether I buy new products, refurbed products from a, uh, from a, a digital marketplace. Um, but they're looking for choice and value. And so the real key, I think, if you break the problem down into parts, will be uh, starting with demand forecasting uh, what parts or what uh, uh, inventory is at what place at what time, hoping that maybe uh, this fall with back to school and then the holidays, and we know peak season will always start earlier uh, the, in these recent times, um, will be what products do I need in the right place that drive value for my uh, consumer, right? And they're looking for more value right now. So that becomes really important. Um, and that kind of gets into some of my fundamental questions that I think all retailers um, are going to ask. Um, and that is uh, more accurate demand forecasts. And that is how much, what stuff do I need and how much of it do I need? Uh, the next is where is my stuff in the supply chain? Uh, that's the transitory signaling about where, where my inventory exists. Uh, then the next question is, uh, uh, how do I execute it optimally, uh, which is, uh, can I do it at the lowest cost option and choice with my care LSP uh, community? And then finally, how much does it end up costing me to ship those goods to the consumer? And last mile delivery is still stubbornly high relative to the other modes of transport. So um, there's a common theme in the industry called unified commerce. That's the old omni-channel thinking. Um, but it's really breaking down those barriers and having true end-to-end -end, uh, control tower visibility to my overall spend. And I was thinking about that, looking at, um, uh, spoke to Dr. Crow with MIT and talking about demand planning. And he said what was fascinating was when they teach the classes, one of the big things is there's equations folks will use. How much inventory should I have if I, I'm uncertain, if I'm certain of demand, or if, you know, there's different levels. Coming off of two years and you're a demand planner, I feel like that'd be the worst job to be in right now because where do you go back? Are people going back to 2018 or 2019 to try and figure out what 2023, 2024 may look like? Uh, I think the answer is no. I think if there's some lessons learned, um, and by the way, uh, these topics were, were top of mind uh, in the recent uh, conferences I was attending, and that is um, you have to learn from past experience. So we all are re uh, responsible for uh, being agile and responding uh, to what we learned from the pandemic and from the recent economic uh, challenges. And so companies, uh, especially retailers, are learning to be more agile. Well, how do you be more agile? That means that you have to respond quicker to changes in demand, changes to the economic environment, changes to uh, carriers and LSPs availability. 
Um, and how do you become more agile? It's called data. You have to have data. And so the digitalization of the supply chain is critical. And that starts from demand forecast planning, signaling your suppliers and expected forecast numbers, tight integration all the way end to end down to the final mile and being able to look at uh, decisions that were made and improving. I think the other theme coming out um, is a very pragmatic but very resilient theme, meaning risk mitigation. So if I was a demand planner uh, these days, and you're right, that's a difficult job to have, um, I would demand, I would want accurate uh, forecasting and demand models aren't necessarily relying on history, but they're related to what we think the consumers will do, when they'll do it, and what they see value in. And then that flows all the way through the uh, supply chain in terms of uh, 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 actions and reactions to those forecast models. So data drives everything. We are in a metrics-driven world. And if you do not have the data to support those decisions and quickly, proactively manage that, uh, you you will face the next crisis and not be prepared for it. So that's definitely some of the lessons learned coming out of uh, recent, the recent two years. The best data-driven anecdote I've heard, one person told me data is gold and another person who was like a data scientist said data is like crude oil. It has to be refined. So you can't just pull it out of the ground and expect it to work. Uh, looking at that, there's technology, machine learning, throwing the buzzwords, but from my experience coming from truckload, I noticed that one of the biggest challenges is a lot of these retailers and distributors don't have full end-to-end -end visibility. Uh, they don't even know if one of their distribution hubs is underperforming by carrier's metric. Maybe it's good for them. Uh, are folks making progress or legacy systems, tech debt? Are we still having problems where they're trying to map out their own networks? I, I think that in general, this is a long journey. One of the things is I had an opportunity to visit with several shippers in terms of what their journey looked like. And this isn't a flip the switch type of change. This takes time. Uh, again, end to end. Um, so when I say digitalization, I mean all the way from supply to final consumption. Um, and that takes time. So there's a, a heavy lift in investment. The other thing is it's multiple uh, tech solutions that uh, create that end-to-end -end opportunity. There's not just one. There's multiple third parties. There's stacking tech solutions to create an end-to-end -end control tower. But what came clear to me is this is not a flip-a-switch type uh, strategy. This is a, it takes a, a long time. Some companies, it's taken five to six to seven years of investment uh, to truly optimize their supply chain and have the visibility they need to take dynamic conditions like changing forecast models and and proliferate that through quickly uh, through their uh, through their supply chain. So, investment in these technologies is critical. Um, I think AI is a few years out before it becomes helpful in this area. I think maybe eventually it will, but we have another five or so years where AI can probably really contribute to some of these uh, uh, type of situations. And mainly, it's constrained by the lack of good data because you know garbage in, garbage out still applies even if it's AI. That's what I'm curious about, because I spoke with some folks with trucking and logistics. The hardest part is, do you buy it third party? Do you try to develop it? Like, how are you going to use it? If you're like a Fortune 100 shipper, are you dealing with similar problems? Or do they typically like to have their own systems they develop that's uniquely their own flavor for what they need? I think it depends. I think uh, what I've seen recently in, in case studies is um, there, there's a bit of a balance in and leveraging third-party uh, solutions where their expertise in that area makes sense. 
Um, some of it's developed in-house based on uh, maybe specific requirements and things like that, but it is a combined strategy. So in other words, a uh, smart organization will leverage its own tech where it's proprietary, for instance, but certainly be uh, accountable to the really needs of the larger stakeholder group, including their uh, supplier base and their carrier LSPs. There are a lot of great third-party solutions out there that contribute to that overall solution. So the real thing is knowing where to fit that tech stack together um, and how to make it work cohesively from an end-to-end perspective. There's no one provider that solves all of these problems. I think for companies to invest internally to try to solve all of them is not realistic either. So it's a matter of knowing what your requirements are and knowing where the best solution is, integrating those tech solutions in the overall uh, control tower strategy, if you will. Um, that can act as an accelerant, obviously, to achieving an objective. It also takes some of the burden of maintenance off the internal organization to push that off, off to third-party suppliers that have the expertise to do that. So it's a shared approach. I always wonder when it comes to transportation, uh, you know, companies have the transportation department, but if you're a Procter & Gamble, you sell consumer goods. If you're a Walmart, you're a retailer. You don't really think of yourself as a transportation company. Uh, is this something where speeding up their internal supply chains, are they looking inwards at my purchasing, my suppliers when it's getting shipped from the factory? Or are they looking at, do I need to speed this up from like a, a DC transfer? Does my transportation department need to be the one to hit the gas? Or do I have to look inwards and see where my inbound and purchasing is, is going? I think a holistic approach is, is important uh, to solve this. This is a multivariable problem. And again, the data should support those uh, decisions. So I believe that better and accurate demand forecasting uh, connections in with your suppliers are important. But I also think looking at the cost to serve and balancing time and transit against cost to serve is also equally important. So I mentioned earlier about unified uh, commerce concepts. So traditionally, retailers had siloed a bit of their organization around uh, delivery mode, um, inbound, uh, outbound, non-e-commerce, e-commerce being a separate uh, managed under a separate uh, organization, the uh, retailers in general have learned to look at things as a unified commerce concept, which means you, lo you look at the entire problem from end to end. Some of that problem is solved with uh, upstream, with better supplier management, better forecasting, and better uh, inventory management, supplier di diversification, for instance. Some of it's managed by the LSP and carrier in terms of time and transit, better options, especially for last mile delivery, which is, again, still the most expensive aspect of the journey when you look at it at a cost per weight or a cost per uh, shipment perspective. So I think the answer is holistically looking at it, being agile, using data to make those decisions and understanding those decisions and how they impact the overall flow of information and product and goods uh, all the way through that supply chain. So it is a multivariable problem. The companies that are succeeding at doing it have the tech and the data and the visibility to make those decisions and monitor the changes, look at the outcomes and, and adapt accordingly. 
the inbound outbound kind of finally connecting some dots for me because when I worked as a broker and a carrier, we'd email and communicate with two separate departments. Inbound would have their own priorities. Outbound would yell at me for other things. Uh, is that for people who are outside of supply chains uh, and, and trucking biz like a kid looking up and trying to figure out what's going on? You know, um, Is that common for most places where it just becomes a conversation of, well, why is inbound slower? Why can't outbound be faster uh, versus a holistic approach was like, transportation. Yeah, I think I think this is where data again plays into the cohesiveness of the supply chain, meaning that it in the old days it used to be one person had an impact to the change because their sphere of influence was X. But they were impacting others in 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 the organization by that decision. I think data has created a cohesiveness within organizations, the control tower concept, the digitalization of the supply chain that help uh, multiple stakeholders understand the decision and the impact of their decisions on their, on others in the supply chain. So again, as retailers mature and navigate through this challenging market, it's important that internal stakeholders work as a unified team, all the way from merchandising to demand planning through inbound, through uh, DC management, inventory management, uh, from port to DC, and then final last mile, where inventory is placed, which carriers do you choose uh, at the lowest cost preferred option uh, factoring in service as well. And I think another element of all this is if you want to bring in another variable is even ESG. So uh, we are definitely in a pragmatic uh, state within uh, the shipper's eyes. Pragmatic being practical is always rules. So cost is a key component in today's environment. But uh, giving shippers uh, the ability to look at carbon and some ESG concepts now may allow consumers to make that choice. But again, it's about data and decisions and how those decisions impact others in the supply chain, whether it's uh, internal or external through suppliers and carriers and LSPs. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, decisions on the supply chain, you mentioned a great point, carriers and lower cost. It's a very traditional thing. You're a shipper, you want to lower your cost. Uh, I've read some stuff from analysts, some Wolf Research folks, Morgan Stanley. Some people are taking the approach that shippers are saying that they don't want to lower their costs and their rates with their carriers as much because there's a fear that of a whiplash effect, that if I push them out. From your conversations with folks, uh, how, are, are, how are folks treating that? I mean, if I'm the transportation manager, am I going to have a mandate that I just have to cut at all costs because of how razor-thin margins are getting? Well, I sat in some really interesting heated meetings with shippers and carriers in, this, in a panel session. And uh, the shippers remember the pandemic and the carriers, LSPs, are wanting everyone to look forward now that they have capacity to, to meet the demand. So it's really 180 degree shift from where we were with disruptions related to carrier capacity and, and, and rate issues and spot quotes. Um, we, we, as I said, I think that's a tailwind. I think that we're entering a market now where obviously there's plenty of, of capacity and rates are probably at an all-time low, at least for the indices that I monitor over the last two, three years. So cost is less of a concern uh, in the immediate market and it needs to be monitored, but it, uh, cost related to the actual rate is less of a concern. But I still think it's a balance. So if you think about the more sophisticated uh, TMSs or or mechanisms that choose the right carrier in the right situation. Uh, again, tech enablement allows you to make those choices based on cost, service, maybe carbon emissions, maybe some other factors that 
influence uh, a carrier of choice. Maybe there's a disruption happening somewhere that uh, I need to reroute or make a decision to to, to move it a, by different methods. So um, I, I think it's a multifaceted problem, but usually advanced technology allows uh, shippers to create a situation where they're routing with not just lowest cost option, but factoring in some of the other variables that may play into that weighted decision on which carrier LSP to choose and ultimately meeting customer demand, right? Or customer service requirements. Would, would there be, I know the ESG topic, it's always fun with trucking because naturally anything that changes the process of trucking, there's a lot of uh, pushback. But getting from a shipper standpoint, spoke with Matt McClellan back at Covenant about a year ago when they were testing their, uh, I think it was a Nikola truck, I got the ride in a day cap. He said that customers are so interested in it, they're willing to provide their own generators if the infrastructure wasn't there. Uh, when you mentioned carrier of choice, is that a way to get like a first mover advantage? If I have a few, if I have thousands of trucks, is that a way to open the door or are you seeing a more wait and see approach where we're going to see if there's infrastructure? Can this fit in my network? I mean, can you win given ESG and be that carrier that has done an early form of electrification? Well, I again, I think in the current environment, we're, we're at a very pragmatic phase due to the economy, meaning that uh, where normal ESG decisions uh, that drive change would happen more rapidly. I think we're entering a, a, a bit of a wait and see uh, perspective just because of the economy, the tightening of, uh, by the Fed. I think you mentioned earlier, uh, you, you, you have an employment number that is, seems to be hyper-focused by the Fed that continue to try to tighten, even though a lot believe that the tightening should end and, and we should put a pause on increase in rates. But I guess my point is, is we're entering a very pragmatic phase at least for the next uh, six to 12 months, which means that uh, the decisions that companies make in terms of carrier choice uh, will be driven by a very balanced uh, set of metrics that include service, cost, and uh, carbon, or scope three. And the, the, the key there is balance. If, if I can make a choice and I have the metrics to, to have the information, uh, maybe the consumer makes the choice. Maybe the consumer says, well, I'll take it slower if, if I can save uh, uh, some emissions uh, in, in the environment. So, you know, out, having the data to support those decisions is really critical. In terms of carrier investments, um, again, I think that with demand being where it is in, in, in a sort of a, a recessed state, right, with high capacity, I think we're at a very fragmented market. And when I say that, I mean fragmented from a carrier LSP. I think the demand of the last two years has created a very fragmented carrier market. So until those carriers consolidate and carriers start looking at strategies to fund their, uh, say, EV conversions or uh, sustainability programs, um, we, we're going to be faced with uh, lower demand, less, less uh, currency available to, to make those changes. And so... Uh, I think that shippers will eventually come around to make those choices uh, as a cohesive uh, strategy to choose a carrier. And I think they should invest in those programs. But again, um, that may be difficult in, in the current economic conditions. And closing thoughts here as well. Based on the verticals you're watching within retail and the supply chain, uh, kind of a lull in the cycle right now, rates are bottoming out. Who are the winners and the losers when it comes to managing your inventory and your supply chain in this type of market? I think the key is understanding what the consumer will buy and when they'll buy it. I know that's not a new problem, but I think it's become very, very critical. Consumers uh, 
I just mentioned consumer debt is 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 going the wrong way. Based on what happens with student loan forgiveness, that may contribute. That's not even counted in that debt equation. So consumers want choice. They want value. Um, I think the winners are ones that can accurately forecast the right product mix that provides value to their customers at the right place, whether they're competing in a digital marketplace or they have their own digital marketplace. I think value and service are critical. So the old Omni, now unified commerce concept holds where if I order online, order, pick up from store, go to the store, whatever, it should be unified experience. And I think that uh, these things for the next 12 months, the winners will have uh, played that out correctly, I guess, with their managing their inventories. Um, the losers are the ones that either that don't have the data to, to manage through these things uh, that, uh, you know, overstock their inventory, don't learn from the past, if you will, and uh, make poor decisions either way in terms of not enough inventory or too much. And Another kind of concept that I throw in the mix is um, network optimization. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about decoupling with certain uh, regions of the world, uh, nearshoring, looking at inventory options in your supply base that offer a faster transit time uh, and, and less risk. So I think that's another factor that will be uh, out there that is shippers look at optimizing where the inventory is at the right time. I think they're looking at different options to, to reduce risk in terms of regional disruption or relying on one particular country or area for all of their supplies. So there's there's still a strong uh, uh, sort of perspective of, of resiliency, I guess, based on uh, the last two years. Perfect. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to get to pick your brain today. And we'll be keeping an eye on these next 12 months are going to get a little bit bumpy. Thanks again. A little bumpy. Thank you. Take care. That's going to be a wrap for today. You can join us though next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Check out the newsletter. Subscribe, loaded and rolling, freightwaves.com. Coming out on Thursdays at 2. Been a pleasure. Join us next week. We'll do it live.